Today's scripture comes from three parts. So Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Genesis. Starting with Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 24. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2 to first part of verse 4. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part three of our series, Blessed Friendship. And today I'm going to spend a big chunk of time, in fact, probably most of the time, in part one. And I'm just going to kind of warn you today that this is a PG-13 sermon, okay? Um, we're going to talk about things that probably are not really for the little ones, not that we have a lot of little ones here. Um, so I'm just letting you know that. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not interested in talking about, you know, speaking in any way that's salacious or inappropriate from the pulpit, but I do intend to be bold and direct to help people today, especially young people, right? And you can decide if you're one of the young people, right? Living today in a time of uh, deep and profound sexual confusion and loneliness. Today's message is entitled Sexual Desire and Friendship Love. Sexual Desire and Friendship Love. I want to say just one more thing in um, introduction before uh, I get into our, our message, which is that we as Christians who believe in the Bible, we're not interested in imposing our morality on people around us. That's, Christian morality is not in t- intended to be imposed upon people. We as Christians, we don't just say, well, God is God. He has his laws. And since he's got power, we just kind of have to do what he says. There's a lot of people who tend to think that whoever has power, you just kind of have to go along with that. But if you just only have to follow someone simply because they have power and you fear them, because you fear that they can inflict punishment or hurt upon you, that isn't a gracious reign from a loving God. What that is is tyranny. That's really what it is. It's a form of tyranny. So Christians are not actually interested in imposing our moral ways and our laws upon other people. What I really want to say, this is really important. What we hope to do is we want to offer them to you as a form of servanthood and hope to winsomely persuade you that what we believe from God is a gift and a blessing for you. That's what is our hope. And so... I'm going to say some things today about sexual morality from a biblical point of view that is really offensive in today's culture. Some of you, if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here and you would be willing to listen to this message. But I want to just 
put that out there so that you're not shocked or you're not, um, you know, you're just immediately like, you know, you feel blindsided by some of the things that are taught here. Any of the things I'm saying here today are not controversial. They're not supposed to be controversial in the Bible. I'm not putting myself on a limb. I'm, I'm right in the center of biblical historic orthodoxy on the, the things I'm going to say. And so I'm not afraid to say those things. And we offer them to people boldly as a form of service. And I want to just say this too. Um, obviously, I'm well aware this is offensive stuff. Some of it's offensive. And you might find it outrageous. But we don't offer it. Uh, we don't off, we, we, I know that you may not like what, and you may not even end up agreeing. But our own Lord Jesus came to serve even if he was going to lose, even if it was going to incur cost. So one of the things I want to just say, this is especially for the sake of you, those of you who are members of Revived Church, we must offer this truth to the world. We must offer it from the pulpit. We must offer it with our lives. And if we are hated by our neighbors for having this stance from the Bible, we have to take that. We have to be willing to accept the scorn, the rejection, the hatred, the accusations of bigotry, and maybe even um, economic costs. Maybe you will, maybe you not getting um, certain promotions in your company, etc. Jesus came to give us his blessing, and he did to serve us at great cost to himself. We who are followers of Jesus this is the way we must live. We must live as servants to offer God's blessing and gifts to others, including in things they don't want to hear. Okay? All right. That's the introduction. Part one. The chaos of sexual obsessions today. That's part one. The chaos of sexual obsessions today. There's so much that could be said. I kind of have a lot to say, but... Even that's not even anywhere near everything that needs to be said, but we're going to have a bit to say on that subject in part one. The chaos of sexual obsessions today. Part two, the primacy of friendship love over sexual love. A lot of people don't understand that today. Friendship love is more important than sexual love. It's not a little more important. It's way more important that's why we're having this whole series, right? The primacy of friendship love over sexual love. And part three, the mysterious other completes all love. There is a mysterious other. He completes all love, okay? So let's get into it. Part one. So here's the first thing I we'll want to say. Let's say Proverbs 18.24. I preached on this two weeks ago. I only preached on this one verse two weeks ago. And I want to offer you something, just give you a little help to see how something, this passage is so profound. It's this uh, seemingly simple sentence. And there's at least three layers of meaning. And two weeks ago, I gave you two layers of those meanings. So, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And two weeks ago, what I said to you is, there's all these people who think they're friends. You have Facebook friends. You have all these 
Like, I got friends. Like, oh, you hang out with friends. And a lot of your friends really aren't friends. And you can have a lot of such friends, but what you really need is a deep, real friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's one layer of meaning. What do you think real friendship is? What does it look like according to the Bible, according to God's wisdom? That's one layer of meaning. It's, it's wisdom, life wisdom. A second layer of meaning, which I taught two weeks ago, is there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That is Jesus. God offers you a friendship. And Pastor Young talked about this last week too. That Jesus offers you a friendship. It is closer than even your own brother or your sister. And he went to great cost so that he could be your friend forever, even if nobody else will be your friend, including you. <laughs> Sometimes you're not even your own friend. You hate yourself. Okay, that's the second layer of meaning. Today I want to get to a third layer of meaning, which is a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know what we're talking about here? We're talking about a wife. Or we're talking about a husband. You're like, really? Doesn't seem to be talking about that. It is. <laughs> okay? So let me take you to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Second chapter of the whole Bible. You're not even out of the second chapter of the whole Bible. And um, there's this verse. This is the quintessential meaning of marriage in the Bible. So for those of you who didn't grow up you know, learning the Bible, this is the Bible's understanding of marriage. And it goes like this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the definition of marriage. And um, it's very, very important. It's a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. In an in, 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 in early Greek translation, it says, hold fast to his woman. Some of you are wondering, can a man marry a man? In the Bible, no. No. A man can only marry a woman, and a man leaves his father. There's a primacy that goes to his wife, and there's a new relationship which is deeply profound, which the Bible calls one flesh. Now, how does this verse reflect on Proverbs 18.24? Listen to this. So, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The Hebrew word there means something like this, shall be glued to his wife, shall be so close to his wife, they're, they're almost like, they're like one one, like one unit, one flesh. So like the bonds together are so close, it's like being glued, okay? So now, let me reread 18.24. There is a friend who sticks, who is glued, who is like glue, closer than a brother. Doesn't that sound like a wife? I'm telling you, I know enough about Hebrew poetry. There is no way this verse is not referencing Genesis 2.24. Those words, those metaphors. So it's not just talking about a friend. It's talking about a wife. It's talking about a spouse. And do you notice, I want to just say something which we'll return to later, that your spouse is called a friend. Get that? Your spouse is not just 
you know, like your lover or like, you know, that, that, that special man that you thought was the most handsome, sexually attractive person that you could get. You know, like that's kind of like how we're, we're operating today, right? It's like the wife you marry is like, uh, she's like the most sexually attractive one I could get, okay? Because that's how our priorities are today when we're looking for a spouse, okay? And so, you know, you, you have like a, you know, you date this girl, then you meet another girl, and she's more sexually attractive than the last girl. You break up with the first girl, so you get because like hopefully you can make the more sexually attractive one, you know, your wife or something like that. That's how we think today. I mean, come on. Nobody says that out loud, but it's BS if you don't think that that's how people think today. And I'll bet you that's how you operate, okay? And that's how, bet you how many of you got already married. That's how you operated. That was like the operative, you know, priority. But the Bible says there's a friend. And this is one just little piece, and we'll get, I'll get to this a little bit later. If you're looking for a spouse today, really important piece of wisdom, you're looking for a friend of the opposite sex, a very special friend you'll be glued to for the rest of your life. That's what you're looking for, okay? Yet, okay, let me go one more passage. Song of Solomon. All right. So... If you look in the ESV, they did, this, they did this really smart thing in the English Standard Version of the ESV. This isn't in the original text, but it's, a, it's, it's love poetry. So what is Song of Solomon? For those of you who don't know, Solomon is the king of Israel, to whom the Bible says was like the wisest man on the face of the earth. Well, until Jesus showed up anyway, right? And then he wrote Proverbs, or at least pulled together most of Proverbs, and he also wrote a really interesting piece of poetry, which today, you know, some people call Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, and you know what it is? It's romantic love poetry. It's, sex, it's deeply sexual. It's like hot sexual love, okay? That's what it's about. And it is inspired, like God put this in his word. And it's in the Bible. It's, it's that important. So just let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So this is like the, the female voice. This is what I mean. The English Standard Version editors would put the she in there. For your love is better than wine. So I want to just say a little something about this. Um, well, ver verse 4. Verse four. Draw me after you and let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. So she's referencing, you know, she's the lover of, of the king. And then there's a different voice when you get to the latter portion. Others will say this portion. There's kind of like a commentary from others. We will exult and rejoice in you. The you is plural. We will rejoice and exult in you. We will store your love more than wine. See, what? it goes back to that verse. So your love is better than wine. We will, we will extol your love. That is you, the plural, you who is loved by the king, the bride of the king. The husband and wife will extol this, we will celebrate this more than wine. This is the way this whole book begins. And um, it's poetic for sure. Just letting you know, it is definitely PG-13 material. You probably don't be like, hey, little six-year-old Susie, let's read Song of Solomon. That's probably not, 
really the most, uh, like, what, what, what does that mean? You know, if your child starts asking, you're like, uh, uh, let's wait <laughs> to tell you what some of that stuff means. And the reason I show this to you is in the Bible itself, in the Bible itself, there's a profound celebration of sexual desire leading to sexual love, which is consummated in marriage between man and woman, as in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And by the way, when it says, you know, they shall be, they, a man shall be, you know, hold fast, shall be glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, um, uh, it, it is a metaphor for their deep intimacy and closeness of their friendship, but it also just simply means they're going to have sex. And when they have sex, that's one flesh union, and that closeness is like you're, uh, you're, you're, you're making yourself so close Something like your souls are touching, more like, like being fastened together like glue, okay? That's what the Bible means. So it's all in there, and the Bible celebrates both friendship love and sexual love, and there's clearly a distinction. There's absolutely clearly a distinction in the Bible, and the Bible celebrates both. And let me just say this, the Bible has the highest view of sex and sexual love there is. There is no other worldview that is a higher view. So um, there are many churches out there that don't want to talk about sex, never talk about Song of Solomon, and that's a huge mistake. Our, our times need God's wisdom. We need a transcendent wisdom on the meaning of sex and the purposes of sex. And so um, let's... Let's get into a little bit more into today's message. Now, I want to say a few things about this, okay? Um, what I want to get into this subject today is that the Bible is very clear. And, like, I never had to say this stuff 10 or 20 years ago, okay? But today, I do. And I don't say this stuff in any kind of dismissive or, or judgmental fashion. We live in a secular time. And I have to state this thing, which is there are two sexes. Some of you go to work, and then there's a questionnaire. You put your name, you put your address, and then there's like a gender question in there, and it's a long list. There's a lot of choices. It starts off male, female, and then, then there's a bunch of other stuff. Some of them I had literally never heard of until just a few years ago, okay? And... I want to let you know the Bible has a very clear stance. There's only two, male and female. And I want to say a couple things about this. They're equal in worth. There is, don't think that the Bible is, oh, they're, okay. the Bible does believe in a, a kind of patriarchy. It does, the Bible does believe, in, and I won't go into all this today, that, that the husband is the head of the wife, okay? But in worth, Absolute equality. Absolutely. Okay? Don't ever think that's Genesis chapter 1. It's, it said, it's in Genesis chapter 1. You're not even on the first chapter of the Bible where there's male and female. They equally together image God. That means they have absolute equality of worth. Okay? And there's a mystery between the two. And I want to say this. That, that no one sex, there's no one male or female that is full in its fullness 
can say, like, we can tell you how our society should be. Every culture needs both the fullness of male and female. Let's put it another way. It needs the fullness of masculinity, a righteous, honorable, God, God, God-guided form of masculinity and femininity for the flourishing of everybody. That's the way it is. That's why it's in Genesis chapter 1. And with that said, I'm going to say a bunch of things about the subject of homosexuality and gender fluidity. So this is what I'm saying. I told you I was going to talk about things that some people are going to be not like, okay, that are really unpopular today. But I want to say a few things about this. And, um, and just, just today, just if you don't have a lot of this this understanding and truth from the Bible, and nobody's ever taught it to you, you may just grow up, you just take in what our culture offers you, what the schools teach you, with the music, with the media, just the flow of our culture, and then you want to like operate, like I'm a man or a woman, or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm gender fluid, or I think I'm gay, I think, I'm not sure, I'm bisexual, and then you're going to go out into the world and go, I know how to be a friend. And one of the reasons I'm giving this message is it's, 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 it causes deep, deep problems in this area about friendship. And friendship is really, really important. I told you it's more important than sexual love. So that's what's happening. As I look around our culture today, millennials and younger especially, my generation too, X-Gen, but it's like the confusion and the chaos. There's great loneliness and depression in Gen Z, and that's not a coincidence. And that's because the sexual ideologies and the whole idea about sexual identity in our culture is so chaotic that there isn't wise pathways toward deep and beautiful close friendships. And that's going to make people really depressed and break their lives. That's where we are. Okay? So, all right. Let me say, here we go. First, I want to just say this to you. If you are listening to this message and um, you're not sure about your gender, if you consider yourself, uh, you know, maybe gender fluid or you're considering about transitioning or anything like that, one of the things I want to say to you is the Bible is very clear. God made you male or female. So you're born male or if you're born female, God made you that way. It wasn't a mistake. And the Bible is very clear, it's good. In fact, it's very good. So your masculinity, you may not be comfortable inside of it. Or if you are like a woman, but you're like, I'm not a woman. I think I'm really more of a guy or I'm considering it, right? One of the things I just want to say to you is the Bible disagrees with your feelings and your intuitions And I want to say to you, and I want to say this gently, you're really confused. (laughs) And you're setting yourself up for, if you're really going to be stubborn about this, you're setting yourself up for a lot of pain and confusion and lostness. God loves you in a certain way. And he made you male and female. It is good. And please seek that goodness. So if you're the kind of guy that just doesn't like you know, kind of like maybe certain kinds of common expressions of masculinity, you just maybe haven't seen what's good inside of it. And it's very possible 
that you may have had an abusive father or an abusive brother or you've lost your father or the expressions of masculinity that you have experienced in your life have been really quite bad. That's very, very possible and very probably very likely even. But one of the things I want to say to you is there's still a promised goodness from God awaiting you. Please seek it. And the same for women, okay? Second thing. Some of you are thinking, so the, does the Bible actually teach that homosexuality is a sin? Yes. And I want to say this. Um, the Bible is absolutely clear on this. There's nothing subtle about it. And, and it's not just that there are certain passages that say this is wrong. It is that the whole logic and flow of the way the Bible works is that you, the two genders, male and female, ultimately point to a certain understanding of God's relationship to his people. And thus, if you mix the genders or make them somehow like a choice or something like this, or like it's, it's deeply, deeply violates the very presentation of the Bible and how God is and how human beings are. So let me just say just quickly, you're like, where? Okay, like where? I mean, you said that it's clear. Um, just, just, just quickly. Uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 19 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroys these two cities for their homosexuality and not just their homosexuality but the way they approve and they practice all kinds of sexual chaos right um, in Leviticus chapter 18 and 20 the Levitical laws offer the moral law the moral law doesn't go away there are sacrificial laws and there are civil laws that God says no more and because he like he's changed them and, but the moral law this is from Genesis chapter 1. It does not go away. It's very clear on the disapproval of homosexuality in Leviticus 18 and 20. I'll give you one that's just so clear. It's Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, there is a deep, deep, uh, there's a deep critique of the human desire to say we will rule and run ourselves apart from God's wisdom. And then where it leads is that we think we can define who who we are sexually, and it leads to all kinds of chaos and misery. That's Romans chapter 1. And in fact, Romans chapter 1 says that homosexuality and the approval, the approval of homosexuality, so, you, so if you are heterosexual, you're like, I'm not really interested. I don't sexually, I'm not sexually interested in people who are of the same sex as me. So if you are heterosexual, you're like, well, I'm not gay, so I guess this situation doesn't apply to me. But if you approve of homosexuality, according to Romans chapter 1, you're in deep sin. I would even say the Romans chapter 1 thinks a person who has, who's interested sexually in someone of the same sex, that's a less sin than saying, well, we can, we can define what sexual morality is. That's like stealing the authority of God. That's a horrible sin. And for that, God pours out wrath, according to Romans chapter 1. Powerful, powerful passage. And there are other lists of sins in the New Testament, and invariably, in multiple ones, there's always some, some mention of homosexuality, okay? Now, I want to say this. If you ever attend a church, they say they're a Christian church, they say they're a biblical church, and they say that it's okay 
for Christians to approve of homosexuality and to live a homosexual lifestyle, gender fluidity, all this other kind of stuff, that the chaos of our times, let me tell you something, you shouldn't go to that church anymore. I, I know that sounds really mean, it could sound really judgmental. That is a church that pretty much has cast off the Bible. They pretty much might as well just say, well, we don't believe in the Bible. You might as well just throw the whole Bible away. This is such a clear point then really God's word no longer has authority over that church. You're just getting the feelings, the intuitions of its leadership, and that leadership has probably said, gosh, you know, it's really, really offensive in our times, so let's just adjust this doctrine, and we can continue just go on being Christians. Uh, that isn't true. You no longer are under the truth and lordship of God and of his wisdom. And this one's so important. You don't think it's important. It shapes friendships. It shapes marriages, it shapes, it shapes family building, it shapes whole societies, okay? So, let me say a third point. Sex without transcendent purpose and guidance leads to abuse and nightmare. Sex without transcendent purpose and guidance. So what do I mean by Transcendent. If, you, if there is no God that's above all cultures, above the system, so to speak, then that's only if you're above all cultures and above all history, then and no one set of like people can define it, that's transcendent. But if there is no God, then all the only morality or things that we say about sexuality, it's only just coming from other people. That's all it is. And whatever your sexual ethic it is, all it is is cultural imperialism. That's all it is. So you're sitting there going like, these Christians are trying to impose their, their, cult, uh, their, their morality on us. Let me just, just flip this around the other way. If there is no God, that's all there is. You go to another society, and they're like, the men could like marry 20 women and have like another 50 women who are their sexual slaves called concubines. And, um, and if you disagree with that, they'll put you in jail. And you're saying, that's wrong. Let me tell you something. It's just cultural imperialism. Nobody has any other say. That's all there is. This is how it works. And let me push this a little further. If there is no transcendent word that can tell us something so important, that's so fraught, that we deeply, deeply want to have, like, we want to have blessing in this place. Everybody's born in a sexual way. You have a, you have a sexual personhood in a body. You're either male or female. And so we want, we long for, and we have a desire for blessedness in this place. But if you don't have a word from the outside the system, all that is left is power. That's it. So what we have is, if you think that some other culture is bad because they sell their children off to somebody else for sexual enslavement, I don't know why you can say that's bad. You can't say that's bad. How can you say that's bad? On what basis? On what standard? It's just your culture. And... Let me say this other thing, too. There's a lot of people today in the secular morality of our time today that really hates Christianity, that we have certain transcendent moral guidance on our sexual ethics. Every culture has guidance on sexual ethics. 
And let me say this. If you think that we're hateful and bigoted for having the stance, why don't you stand up and say that to Hindus? Why don't you say that to Muslims? Why don't you say that to Asian Buddhists? They agree with Christians. For the most part, they profoundly agree with Christians. They don't agree with the secular morality which they think you can choose your own gender, you can marry a guy if you're a guy, you can marry a woman if you're a woman. The vast majority of human beings understand there needs to be a transcendent perspective. And so if you're going to judge Christians for this point of view, you, are, you might as well just judge the whole world. And you are. Just because you think you can just attack Christians for it and be like, I'm so tolerant, I'm so tolerant, try hanging out with Muslims. Try hanging out with Hindus from India, they're probably far more like gender-defined than you could possibly imagine. Relative to some of these other cultures, Christians are really quite liberal. Very much so. So, all right, let me, let me talk about this. And now let me talk about why I want to say this. Um, the reason I want to talk about the, 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 the subject matter of this, of this of the sermon series is friendship. And if you go into a culture and, you know, a young boy grows up and he doesn't know if I got, I'm supposed to be a man and, like, I'm supposed to marry a woman. So when I was growing up, that was absolutely basic. Nobody ever really had a question mark about that, or very few people did, including people who weren't Christians. But there was a clarity Guys are your friends. <laughs> Women, there's a possibility that one, one very special one, could be your lifelong lover who is also your friend. There's clarity about that. So when you wake up every day, when you meet various different kinds of people, you know what the most important thing that you should be thinking about? Friendship. All the people that you meet, especially everybody of the same sex as you, you're not thinking about like, man, I kind of want to get in bed with him. <laughs> man, I, like, he's really, really exciting to me in that kind of way. Right? It's very, very helpful to have clarity because now the primacy of friendship just becomes so clear and obvious. And then when you grow up, what are you working on all the time in your life? You're working on friendship. But if you're not sure where your sexual desires are, and you're like, okay, maybe like I'm gay or maybe I'm bisexual, then you know what you're looking at? Everybody starts looking at a potential sexual partner. Now, let me just ask you this. So even apart from whether you're gay or not, okay, you grow up, you get into your teenage years, if you're a guy, you're like, you, you kind of want to get muscles. <laughs> you hope your hair comes out a certain way. And you start wanting to talk. You want your voice to get deep. Why? Because now you recognize that that, that, that girl in third grade who was icky and ooey, you know, ooh, girls, <laughs> to you, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, she's kind of exciting. <laughs> because now there is this, this other possibility of sexual attraction going on. And now, like, your inner ego 
And all kinds of things are inflamed because if you like somebody in that sexually attracted in that sexual attraction way, you want to approach this person and you would hope that this person will like you back. So I'm not even talking about having sex. I'm just talking about like romantic, like be back. But what if that's going on with everybody? What if that's going on with everybody? If that's going on with everybody, who's going to be your friend? That you don't have any of that like internal insecurity because you're like, I hope I'm going to be like a really, you know, like attractive man. I hope I'm going to be a really pretty woman. I want to do my hair a certain way. I want my body shape to be a certain way. I want to be attractive a certain way so that, you know, hopefully I can find that special person, right? But if you don't have that, wow. Because now there isn't a clarity about friendship and sexual desire, and now sexual desire is coloring everything. Sexual confusion and deep insecurity is covering everything with all kinds of people. And that's what I fear is going on today. In fact, I know it's going on today. I have great compassion upon young people in that place. It's producing profound loneliness. Loneliness, okay? All right. I've got to give you a tight part two, okay? Let me go to part two. There's a lie in our times that if you don't have sexual fulfillment, you can't be happy. If you don't find, like, the one, the person is just so, just, like, perfect body shape, and they, you know, like, they love you back, and they want to have, like, ecstatic electric sex with you, right, like, all the time, that you can't be happy, or that somehow this is going to be the peak of happiness and fulfillment. That whole thing is a total lie. And it's, it's lies by very, very powerful intellectuals throughout history, certain romantic poets and so forth. And, it's, and that lie is cast through so much of our movies and our songs and so forth. But um, what I want to say is your deeper joy is in friendship love. And I want to just offer this to you. Um, how can I just say that? One, it's an empirical fact, but I want to offer you a quote that I heard from one of the pastors I respect the most, and you guys, those of you who've been with, you know what I'm talking about, right? Tim Keller. <laughs> one of my favorite pastors, Timothy Keller, this brilliant nine sermon series on marriage. And there's this thing he says in there, which really helped my marriage years ago. There was a part where my marriage was in big trouble. My wife and I have been married almost 24 years, and I think we have a pretty good marriage, but there was a time and it was pretty bad. And I was re-listening to these messages. And this word that he says, I, it, was like, it was like I heard it, and, but I forgot it, and then I relearned it. Here's what he says. He says something like this. Marriage is a deep, lifelong friendship. It's a friendship with the, with the opposite, member of the opposite sex. It's accented by sex. It's like the main meal is friendship. The garnish... The accent is the sex. Today, what everybody wants in a spouse is 
sex and sexual attraction and sexual fulfillment is like the main thing, and hopefully we'll be friends. And I heard him say this, and I remember the first time I heard him say this, I was going like, that sounds not so romantic. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. But after I've been married a long time, let me tell you, this is true. It is so true. French, you know what's going to happen? As you grow older, your body is not going to work as well as it used to. <laughs> you won't even be as interested in sex. I'm like, no, of course not. You young people, you're like, and you know what's going to happen, though? The fun, the trust, the understanding, the forgiveness, the laughter, the silliness. Maybe there's some sexualness in there, and maybe there isn't. When you have that 20 years in, 15 years in, 20 years in, 25 years in, you know what that is? That's beautiful. It's wonderful. And maybe you have sex every now and then. And you probably, if you're blessed, you're probably having more wonderful sex than you did when you were in your first two or three years of marriage when your body was like all working. That's what it's really like. That thing Tim Keller said, I 100% agree. I'm just letting you know, just from experience point of view, it's true. Right? So the thing I want to say to you today, just this one thing, and next week we'll talk more about like wisdom on this topic, sexual love, you know, sexual love and desire and friendship love. Right? I'm going to go more into that next week. But I want to say this one thing, right? Do not make sexual love and seeking your mate to be everything. Please don't do that. And there are people today literally like, they, like oh, you know, like they, they get like, they even, they even break a really good marriage because they find some exciting sexual partner. And then three years later, their life is in shambles. Please don't do that, right? And so I want to offer you that maybe like the Lord will offer you a friend. First, seek. the advice I want to give you today is try to learn how to be a really good friend to everybody, male and female. To those who are the same sex of you, if you have like those sexual desires to those who are same sex, you have to learn how to be friends with them and not seek them as potential sexual partners. And if you still long for somebody of the opposite sex, one of the things I want to say to you is please don't be afraid of them. I think today there's tremendous kind of ignorance of the opposite sex, like more so than when I was young. I, I look at the young, the young guys today and they're afraid of the opposite sex or angry at the opposite sex of women. And I see women today, and they're clueless about guys. Because, and they have, they have very kind of like negative ideas about masculinity. Instead of seeing something good and honorable and God-given from that masculinity, and one of the things I want to ask you is, please go inside of that and discover what is beautiful and good of the opposite sex and become friends. Seek to be a really good friend. And then maybe from there, out of that well, and as you grow in that way, the Lord will lead you to a friend, a special friend, who sticks closer than a brother whom you are glued to. 
And for all those of you who are married today, I want to urge you to renew your friendship to your spouse. The way Tim Keller put it was, do anything and everything it takes to make your spouse your best friend. And a lot of spouses are terrible, really quite terrible. I remember listening to that after I married Grace, and I was like, wow, we're bad at this, <laughs> okay? We are not good at this. We, are, we have so many, di- like, we're so different. My wife and I are crazy different, okay? And we've had to learn so many different ways to be friends with each other. But you know the strange thing is, as we have understood each other better, <laughs> our sexual attraction has gotten better. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Okay, let's close this message. I want to talk about the mysterious other that completes all love. And last week, uh, Pastor Young preached out of John chapter 15. I want to just give you this verse. Jesus says this in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I called you friends. You know what Jesus offers you? Friendship. We already talked about this, so I won't go too much into this. So Jesus knows friendship, love, and he offers you to say, I want to be the friend who sticks closer than a brother, and I will go to hell and back on the cross so that you can be my friend and I will be your friend forever. So we call it salvation by grace. But I want to offer you this thing that a lot of people don't know, which is that that Jesus is the deep completer of what we are longing for in sexual union. Now, it's kind of strange because he never got married. (laughs) He died a virgin. Isn't that strange? But here's the way the Bible puts it. So I'm going to say this. This is from Ephesians chapter 5. It's the, the most... It's extensive place in the Bible that talks about marriage, right? So this, I'll just pick it up from verse 28, 528. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be glued to his wife. There it is, Genesis 2.24. Listen to this part. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that Genesis 2.24 refers to Christ and the church. Christ and the church. So here's the Bible's vision. What is sex for? I told you that we need a transcendent guidance and wisdom of the purpose and the blessedness of sex. It comes biblically in this. So God created the world. He made all human beings for himself to put, give him his glory and that they would know the glory of himself and to live for him. When God made this plan, he knew that his son was intended to marry his chosen people, and that his son would be the bridegroom 
and the people would be the bride. That his son would show that a man, that a man shall leave his father, that he was the son who left his father to go be united to his bride and would do whatever it takes to go win her so that he would love her in this very special way and be united and glued to her. So that ultimately what sex is is not fundamentally like just making babies or, you know, like having that special feeling that you get that everybody thinks is so exciting. It is that you were made to be loved, that there's someone else who can come complete you. That when we're male, that being male or being female, that there is like, there's someone else that you are incomplete unless they can come know you and unite themselves to you. And, they, and that's actually the Bible's word for sex, to know. That they would know you so deeply and hold fast to you and become one flesh with you. But before there were men and women, God intended to do this for a set of people that would be feminine to the Son of God. And so that, in one sense, we are all deeply awaiting one to come into us and love us and complete us. Sex points to that reality. And so Jesus is the one through the gospel who said, I will be your friend who sticks closer to you than a brother. And then he talks to his people and says, I will be your bridegroom who will be glued to you. And I will do anything it takes to love you and cherish you and know that you are full and complete and known by me forever. Just close this way. If you um, are married, I want you to, if you're not married, okay, let's say, if you're not married, I want you to talk to somebody you know who you think has a good marriage. And ask them if the marriage does everything for them. And if they're honest, they'll say it doesn't. It doesn't. In a very good marriage, Keller also said this. He said, look, he has a really good marriage. He and Kathy Keller have a wonderful marriage, actually. He says, I have a good marriage. It's not enough. But what actually is, your marriage, a man and a woman as they're married together, if they can begin to have a deeper and deeper closeness where the other person deeply understands, this mysterious other begins to understand them and forgives them and bear their sin and will walk with you, then you're starting to taste something like the way Christ loves his bride. And you know, all of us, that's actually the deep love that we need. And if, you have so, if you're tasting some of that inside of your marriage, chase that and give yourself more to Jesus so you can get more of that. And if you're not having that inside your marriage, pray for that and repent and seek a deeper closeness like the way Jesus has loved us inside your marriage. Because that's what we deeply, deeply need. It's the one who completes and fulfills all love, friendship love, 
sexual love, covenantal love, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. It's a lot taught today, Lord Jesus. And there are some people listening to this message, whether in person or online, who will be really stirred and maybe disturbed, stirred and disturbed and maybe outraged by some of what was taught today. But I pray that they would have a humility and an openness to hear that you have a better plan, that you have so much more in the riches of your goodness to offer through masculinity and femininity, through friendship love, which is actually more important than sexual love, and to offer it and seek it your way. I want to especially pray for anybody listening to this message today who's really wrestling with their gender identity, with their sexual identity. And they're very tempted to say, I'm, I get to decide that. But I pray that even if they, t- they reject today's word, that your grace and mercy and your truth would stay in their heart. And when, not if, when, some of these things don't start to work out according to their plans, maybe they could consider there's a gracious God who wants to offer them the fullness of love in every way. Lord Jesus, we are a people that are deeply sexually broken, and I'm not just talking about people who are gay. Even the heterosexual people, the Christians, we are so marred and broken, Lord. Thank you that you would come to to heal us, to forgive us, and to lead us to a path towards shalom and beauty and good marriages and good masculinity and good femininity in the way you intend And help us, we especially here at Revive Church, may we grow in this way, may we grow with humility and gentleness, may we grow with transparency and vulnerability and authenticity, offering, admitting to our friends and our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus, who don't believe in our sexuality, that we fall very short in this way. And we are not here to judge, we are here to serve at the same time to grow in your grace, would you do that in us and make us servants to those around us and love them as the way you have loved us. Help us to walk in the gospel this way and to be filled up in friendship love, in our sexual desires and our sexual love, according to your shalom and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.